Murder by Experts. The Mutual Broadcasting System presents Murder by Experts with your host and narrator, the noted mystery writer, Brett Halliday. Mr. Halliday is creator of the world-famous detective character, Michael Shane, author of 25 mystery novels, and whose latest work, This Is It, Michael Shane, has just been published. This is Brett Halliday. Each week at this time, Murder by Experts brings you a story of crime and mystery which has been chosen for your approval by one of the world's leading detective story writers. This time, our guest expert is the noted mystery novelist Lenore Glenn Offord. From her wide knowledge of the field of mystery, Miss Offord has chosen a tense and dramatic tale of a man who found himself enmeshed in a web of jealousy and violence with an ending he didn't foresee, as written by George and Gertrude Fass. And now we present John Sylvester and Joyce Gordon in Freeze a Crowd. Suitcase full of clothes and a hundred arrangements of pop tunes sure can get heavy on a hot day. My arms felt as if they'd been unhinged at the joints by the time I'd walked a mile from the main road to the hedge hop inn. It was a long, low white building, sitting back about a hundred feet from the road. This was it. The roadhouse where I would spend the next three months pounding the ivories. At this hour of the morning, the entrance hall was empty. And so was the dining room. I walked straight through and pushed open a swinging door that looked as if it might lead into the kitchen. It did. Hello. Oh, hiya. Where will I find Mr. Hedges? Oh, he'll be around. You the new piano player? That's right. Dick Starr's the name. Oh, Gus Peters. I'm a cook. Oh, glad to know you, Gus. Rest your weary limbs. Thanks. He didn't meet you at the bus stop, eh? Nope. Yeah, knew he wouldn't. More important things to tend to. Well, how about a cold beer? You look as if you need it. Uh, no beer, thanks. But I'll have a glass of milk if it's handy. And a sandwich. Milk? You, uh, you sure you're the new piano player? Well, I said I was. <laughs> so Hedges had more important things to do than to meet me, huh? Yeah, his wife keeps him on a jump. His wife? Yeah, doesn't let her out of his sight. She went to town to do the marketing this morning. He followed her, most likely. Well, why would he want to do that? Don't trust her, that's why. Jealous. You want some free advice, son? Yeah, okay. Stay away from her. Far away. Ah, that won't be hard. No. Well, maybe you'll change your mind when you see her. Why do you suppose we've been having such a fast turnover in piano players? <laughs> None of them last more than a week. Ah, uh, listen, Gus, I see plenty of gorgeous gals in my line of work. They don't bother me. Yeah, well, every Napoleon's got his water loose, son. Only two men around here ain't ever been bothered by Alice Hedges. Me, for one, I'm past that kind of foolishness. And the other? Andy Slade. Who's he? You made him your work, sir. How does he manage to resist? You know, I ain't never figured that one out. Except he's just a natural coal fish. Hey, uh, leave your stuff on the porch, Dick? Uh-huh. Well, I'll take it to your room. You're in the attic right next to me. Oh, swell, but never mind lugging up that stuff. Oh, it's all right, son. I'm going up anyway. You just sit here and finish. Gus went out and left me alone with my sandwich and milk. A couple of minutes later, I found out what he'd been driving at. The door from the dining room swung open and a girl came in carrying some packages. She walked over to the table and put them down before she said anything. And I had time to get a good look at what was probably the most beautiful woman I'd ever seen. Hello. You're Dick Starr, aren't you? Yes, I... I am. I'm Alice Hedges. How do you do? Hello. I hope Gus is making you comfortable. My husband didn't meet your bus, did he? I know. I walked. I'm awfully sorry. If I'd known, I... Oh, John. Here's Mr. Starr, the new pianist. Mr. Starr, my husband. How are you, Mr. Hedges? Hello, Starr. 
Alice, go remind Andy to meet me in my office in 15 minutes. Oh, but, John, I'm sure he remembers. Go on, Alice. All right. Listen to me, Star. You're new here. Yes. Now, get this into your head and get it in good the first time. Stay away from my wife. You can relax, Mr. Hedges. I'm here to play the piano. Well, just so you don't forget, it's the only thing you're here for. Mr. Hedges, I assure you, I haven't the least intention... Oh, now, don't give me that, Star. I've reached the end of my rope with her. The next man she makes a play for is going to get it. The next man she? You heard me. That's why I'm warning you. Now, if you want to stay healthy, keep clear of her. Enough said? Enough said. Okay. Now, let's talk about your work. Yes, Mr. Hedges. You play in the dining room from dinner time until 2 a.m. You can take a 10-minute break every hour. Uh-huh. And there won't be a lot of customers in the dining room. Sometimes there may not be any. But you'll play anyway. Oh, that's okay with me. Uh, maybe you'd better get this straight from the start. I don't make my money out of the dining room. Or the bar, either. No? No. I've got the barn fixed up with a dice table and a roulette wheel. Oh. Andy Slade runs that end of it. Now, it's not going to affect you one way or another. Well, I'm not worried, Mr. Hedges. I've played in other clubs where they had gambling rooms. Good, good. We'll get along, Dick. Just remember... Stick to your piano playing. I intended to. If Hedges wanted to go around thinking his wife was a man chaser, that was his business. Of course, he was wrong. All you had to do was look at Alice Hedges to know that she was straight. She'd never come chasing after me. And even if she did, she wouldn't find anyone at home. No, sir. Jobs don't grow on bushes. And I was hanging on to this one. At dinner, I played for two or three couples. And at about 10, the gambling crowd began drifting in. They'd have one drink at the bar and then head out toward the rear where the barn was. I went to have a look during one of my 10-minute breaks. That's when I met Andy Slade. He was tall and good-looking in a pasty way and handled the roulette wheel with an easy air. He grinned when Hedges introduced us. But I felt sure he wouldn't know me again the next time we met. So, this was Andy Slade. The only man outside of old Gus that Hedges could trust. At two in the morning, I quit and went into the kitchen for a glass of milk. Alice was there, alone. Hello, Dick. Did you want something? Uh, uh, no, thanks. I guess I'll be going up to bed. But you must have come in for something. A glass of milk? Don't be bashful. Well, all right. Thanks a lot. I suppose my husband told you. Told me what? That I'm no good. He did, didn't he? Oh, he... No, nothing like that. No use, Dick. He tells everybody. Well, he might, he might have said something, but I just let it blow over my head. What do you think, Dick? About me, I mean. From what you've seen of me. Do I look like that kind? Well, certainly not, you... You look like a nice girl to me, Mrs. Hedges. A very nice girl. You really mean that. I know you do. I can't imagine how much it means to me to hear you say that. John is so crazy with jealousy. And he has no reason, absolutely no reason. It makes me so miserable. Always spying on me, always following me. Gosh, that's a shame. Dick, see that lake out there? Yeah. Big and blue and deep. Someday that's where I'm going. That's one place he won't follow me. Oh, don't talk like that, Mrs. Hedges. That's, that's no way to solve anything. Would it really matter to anyone? What? Sure. It wouldn't matter to John. He doesn't love me, really. Jealousy is just sort of a disease. I haven't anyone else. It would matter to me, Mrs. Hedges. You? Yes, it would, even though I never laid eyes on you before this morning. I know what you must be feeling. I'm sorry for you. You're kind, Dick. You really understand, don't you? Oh, Dick, I need someone to understand me, to, to help me. Gee, I'll be glad to do anything I can, Arnie. I know there's nothing you can do. But I'll be able to talk to you. 
And that'll mean so much to me. It will? I need a friend, Dick. I'm glad I found a friend. I went up to my room, but I didn't sleep. I kept thinking about Alice. What a tough spot she was in. And feeling sorry for her and wondering what, what I could do to help. But five hours of tossing didn't help solve her problem any. I got up, washed, shaved, and dressed, and started down for breakfast. And then I, I noticed a piece of paper lying just inside my door. It was from Alice, asking me to take the rowboat after breakfast and row a mile down the lake. I, I put it into my pocket and went downstairs to the kitchen for breakfast. Maybe uh, you'd better go back to bed, son. I asked you twice if you wanted eggs, and I ain't got an answer yet. Oh, sorry, Gus. <laughs> no, no eggs, thanks. Just some coffee. What, no milk? Where's Mr. Hedges, Gus? Sleeping. He never gets to bed before five. And Mrs. Hedges? Out marketing. Why? Oh, nothing, just that. The old man laid it on the line for you yesterday, huh? Well, so what? I never was interested in another man's wife. She's no exception. Fine, that's fine, son. Uh, is there a rowboat around, Gus? Yeah, should be uh, one tied up to the dock. Gonna use it? Might as well. Nothing else to do. Piano players are all the same. Nothing else to do, you go rowing. Seems to me it's just back-breaking work and hard in the hands. Well, I like to keep fit. Are the oars in the boat? Yeah. Say, Dick, uh, maybe you'd better uh, chop some wood for exercise. I could use some kindle. <laughs> no, no, thanks. I'm going rowing. Stiff breeze at my back made the going tough. And even though the morning was cool, I'd worked up a good sweat before I'd been out ten minutes. Maybe I'd have done better to have stayed home and chopped kindling for old Gus. But she needed a friend. I couldn't let her down. Finally, I saw a patch of pink moving a little way up the bank. I rode to shore and tied up. Hello. I was beginning to be afraid you weren't coming. Weren't coming? Well, we're friends, aren't we? I know, Dick, I know. I, I just thought perhaps John saw you as you were leaving. Well, even if he did, there's nothing wrong with going out for a little row. He'd see something wrong in it. He saw something wrong in your coming into the kitchen last night. He knew about that? But he was in the bar. He knew. He always knows. He was furious. But Why? It was a coincidence that I met you there. It wasn't as if we'd planned to meet. Of course, that's what I told him. But he wouldn't believe me. He said if he ever caught us together again, he'd throw you out the same day. You're right, Alice. That kind of jealousy isn't normal. It must be terrible for you. It is. It is, but... I didn't ask you to come here just to cry on your shoulder. I wanted to warn you. Dick, you need this job, don't you? Yes, I do, kind of. That's what I thought then you must go out of your way to avoid me. Don't even talk to me. Just ignore me as if I didn't exist. I, I, I hate to do that, Alice. You said you needed a friend, someone to talk to. That's all right, Dick. I, I guess I'll get used to this kind of life. Oh, promise me you'll do as I say. It's the only way to keep your job here. Really, it is. Is that the way Slade keeps his job? Slade. He doesn't have to pretend indifferent. We took a dislike to each other the moment we met. John noticed it right away and decided to keep him no matter what his demands were. I see. Slade makes more than we do out of the roulette table, but he hates me. And that entitles him to anything he wants as far as John's concerned. Well, Alice, I, I can't hate you even to please a crazy, jealous husband. Dick, please. Please try to make him think you do. I'll help you. I'll avoid you, too. And go on living in solitary confinement? But, but look, this is America, Alice. This is the 20th century. That man has no right to keep you a prisoner in your own house. I mean, you're a woman, not, not, not a piece of property. Dick, it's no use. There's nothing I can do. There sure is. You can leave him. I can't leave him. He'd follow me. He'd bring me back or, or kill me. Oh, Dick, I'm lost. I'm lost. You've been sitting side by side on a log. Now Alice covered her face with her hands. I put my arm around her. 
And then she turned and buried her face in my shoulder. Oh, dear. Dead. Don't worry, Alice. I'll get you out of this. I'll think of a way. Don't worry, baby. Alice driving the car got back to the inn sooner than I did in the rowboat. Gus winked at me when I walked into the kitchen and nodded toward the dining room. Through the closed door, I heard their voices. They think you're a rotten liar. You couldn't have spent two hours in town shopping, no matter how crowded it was. Who'd you see when you got there? What man were you sweet-talking to this time? I swear, I didn't talk to any man in town, John. You're a liar, and you're a two-timer. I'll <laughs> show you. That low down. Take it easy, son. I'll break his neck. Don't be a fool. You know he ain't altogether wrong, don't you? He is wrong. He's a lunatic. That's what he is. Well, maybe he is and maybe he ain't. But she's his wife and you've got no call button in. I'll butt in, all right. In my own time and in my own way. I didn't see or hear from Alice again that day. I knew it wasn't because she wanted to avoid me. She was doing it for my sake, to keep me out of hot water. But the next morning, a fella had to see her. And I had a hunch she wouldn't be too hard to find. After breakfast, I went down to the boat dock. The boat was there, but the oars were missing. I went back to the kitchen and asked Gus where they were. Oh, the oars, eh? Well, it's a funny thing about them. I, uh, I happen to notice that they had something wrong with them. I figured if you use them again, you might get hurt. So I just put them where they won't cause no trouble. No, stop being smart, Gus. Let's have them. Look, what's the sense of getting blisters on your hands? You stay close to home, son. You'll be better off. I'm not worried about a few blisters. Well, then let me tell you something. Hedges took the other car and followed his wife this morning. Still want them oars, Dick? I walked out on him and let the porch door slam behind me. I'd wanted to tell Alice about the idea that had come to me at about three that morning. It was so simple, I couldn't understand why it hadn't popped into my head the minute I was sure that Alice had to be rid of that man. Gambling was illegal. If Hedges was in jail, he couldn't bother Alice, could he? I went out to the public phone booth in the bar and called the police and told them about the gambling going on in the barn over at Hedge Hop Inn. As simple as that. I was feeling pretty good that night, playing to an empty dining hall and thinking how pretty soon Alice's troubles would all be behind her, with that precious husband of hers safe behind bars. About 11 o'clock, the door from the entrance hall opened, and Alice came in in a fluffy blue evening gown. She walked quickly through the room without stopping, but as she passed by my piano on her way to the kitchen, she managed to whisper, On the boat dock, Dick, at 12. I kept on playing as if nothing had happened, but inside me, a voice kept singing, She loves you, Dick. She tried to keep away, but she couldn't. She loves you. She'd never risk a rendezvous on the boat dock if she didn't. She loves you, just as you love her. At 5 to 12, I was on the dock. It was a night right out of a dream. With the mist over the lake and the moon a pale blur in the starless sky. I was looking out over the inky water when I heard the click of her high heels behind me. And I turned. And she was in my arms and her mouth was pressed hard against mine. It was a long time before either of us could speak. I know how you feel about me, Dick, darling. I know because it happened to me, too, the moment I saw you. I was so afraid you'd believe the things John said and turn against me. I couldn't, I couldn't, sweet. 
I couldn't believe anything bad about you. Listen, honey, you're going to be free. Do you hear? You're going to be free. What do you mean, Dick? How? Never mind. You'll find out soon enough. Just, just trust me. Oh, I do, I do, Dick. You're so wonderful. Dick. What? Someone's coming. It's John. I'll let him come. Right over here, Hedges. I'm waiting. Oh, you dirty louse. You know better than the rest of those piano-playing Casanovas. Take it easy, Hedges. Dick, be careful. You look like a decent fellow, Star. That's why I warned you. But I say you know better than the rest of them. Look out, Dick! I saw his roundhouse even before Alice screamed, and I beat him to the punch. I... Oh. I'll get you. I warned you. Dick, he has a knife. He was crouching, and there was a wicked seven-inch blade in his right hand. I circled him until I got the lights from the house at my back, and then I backed away. I couldn't fight a knife with my bare fist, and I was going to run for it as soon as I could get Alice away. Alice! Get into the house. Lock yourself in and call the police. You'll be fish bait before they get here, and so will she. I could see him tense for the spring. And then I felt something heavy being pressed into my hand. Use it, Dick. Use it quick. Hedges jumped, and I swung at the same minute. I, 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 oh, 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 oh. I must have crushed his skull in because he fell like a sack of flour. In the darkness, I saw Alice bending over him. She stood up slowly. He's dead. You killed him, Dick. He's dead. Don't worry, darling. It'll be all right. It was self-defense. It was either him or me. I know it, Dick, but the police, I think, it's murder. What do we do? Do? I will. We'll get the police ourselves and tell them just how it happened. That's what we'll do. No, no, no. They won't believe you. We need time, Dick. Time to think. No, that's not good, Alice. If we try to cover For up... For my sake. Once the police get here, you're lost. They'll never believe us. What's your idea? Hide him. Get him out of sight. Then we can make up a story. Hide him? Where? I don't know. Wait a minute. His car. It's parked at the end of the dock. Okay. The luggage compartment. Listen. Hmm? I think I hear someone. We stood and listened. But there wasn't a sound except the crickets shrilling so loudly the noise seemed to beat inside my brain. So we dragged Hedge's body off the dock and I carried it to the car. Luckily, there wasn't any blood. I pushed it into the luggage compartment and closed the lid. It would be safe there until I could think of something to do with it. Then we separated. I went back to my piano while Alice... Gave the people gambling in the barn some story about Hedges suddenly getting sick. So, that's what it was like to kill a man. But I wasn't guilty. I wasn't guilty of anything except the natural instinct for self-preservation. No jury would convict a man for trying to save his own life. Then why did I hide the body? I shouldn't have listened to Alice. She was a girl. She didn't understand these things. It was a mistake, a terrible mistake. And then I heard it. The state police. I jumped up from my piano and started for the barn. And then I remembered they weren't coming for me. They were coming to investigate that tip I'd given them about the gambling. So I stayed where I was in the dining room, listening to the racket and commotion as the troopers closed in on the barn. Two minutes went by. And then a police sergeant came in, leading Alice by the arm. No use, Mrs. Hedges. We know your husband's on the grounds, and we're going to find him. So you might as well tell us where he is. I don't know where he is. He must have gotten away. Nobody got away. We've got this place surrounded. Two of my men are looking through the house now. We'll find him if we have to tear the place apart. Who's this? Dick Starr. He plays the piano here. Uh-huh. A sergeant. Would it be all right if I left? I had nothing to do with the gambling. We're taking everybody in, bud. Uh... Sergeant, could I talk to you alone for a minute? Sit down over there, Mrs. Hedges. All right, what is it, Star? Listen, I'm the one who tipped you off about the gambling here. I phoned headquarters this morning. You're not going to pull me in, are you? You tell that to the captain when we get to headquarters. Maybe he'll let you off. My orders are to take everyone, and that's just what I'm going to do. I'll be reasonable, Sergeant. Sorry, that's how it is. In that case... Dick... He's unconscious. Yeah. I've got to get out of here. I've got to get that car away. Do you think you can? I'll have to or we'll be facing a charge of murder. I'll be back as soon as I've managed it. I slipped out and, keeping to the shadows, made my way to the car. 
And then they saw me. Stop! I got out on the road and stepped on the gas. Behind me, I heard the roar of motorcycles as some of the troopers came after me. I kept my lights off, hoping to lose them in the dark when I hit the highway. But if they couldn't see me, I couldn't see anything at all. The black outside came rushing at me. And suddenly, the ground fell away. The last thing I heard was a crash of glass. son. Well, don't talk, son. You're in the hospital and there's a cop just outside the door. You've been out for two days with a skin full of broken bones. Oh, now, oh. just listen careful. I mightn't get another chance to say this. I'm listening. Hedges, they found his body in the car. Oh, they did? You know, I, I saw you stow it into the luggage compartment, son. Funny thing, though. That ain't where they found it. What do you mean? You see, there weren't no partition between the luggage compartment and the back seat. And it seems that the crash threw you out through the windshield and him right up into the front seat across the steering wheel. The neatest trick of the year, I don't mind saying. What? Yeah, that's right. Some fluke, huh? The cops put the cause of Hedges' death down as an auto accident. They don't even have a reckless driving charge against you, son. Only trying to escape arrest. You're practically in the clear. In the clear? Yeah. That's why I've been sitting here for two days waiting for you to come, too. Couldn't let you spill the beans. Oh, that's, that's great. That's wonderful. What about Alice? Well, you still got her on your mind, eh? Well, I... I hate to tell you this, but you better forget about her. What do you mean? What do you mean, forget about her? We're in love. Yeah, maybe you are. She ain't. She framed that fight with Hedges. Are you crazy? She knew he was following her when she went down to the dock to meet you. She knew he'd pull a knife and she had the club handy for you to use. She'd come out on top no matter which one of you won. Where is she? Now, son, ain't I telling you? If you killed him, that was okay with her. If he killed you, that wouldn't have bothered her none. She'd have had a fry for her murder. Either way, she was rid of him. Where is she? All right. All right, if you insist. She went away to get married. Yeah, yeah. What? To, to Andy Slade. Slade? I always figured him for a cold fish. And I was wrong. It was just an act. An act? Yeah. She set you and them other piano players up as decoys for hedges. But all the time, it was Slade she was after. And so the curtain falls on Three's a Crowd, which was chosen by guest expert Lenore Glenn Offord. Miss Offord is author of the recently republished mystery novel, The Smiling Tiger. Next week at this time, Murder by Experts brings you a story of three killers and a victim who refused to die, as selected for your approval by one of the world's foremost detective story writers. Until then... This is your host, Brett Halliday, hoping you'll be with us again next week at this time. Program was transcribed. Why are camels by far America's most popular cigarette? Two of the reasons are flavor and mildness. No other cigarette has Camel's rich, full flavor. And no other cigarette offers this proof of mildness. In a coast-to-coast -coast test of hundreds of people with normal throats, noted throat specialists reported not one single case of throat irritation due to smoking Camel's. Try Camel's yourself. Then you'll know why Camel leads all other brands by billions of cigarettes per year. 
What cigarette do you smoke, doctor? That question was asked a few years ago of 113,597 doctors. The brand name most was Camel. Recently, that question was again asked of tens of thousands of doctors across the country. Doctors in all branches of medicine. And again, the brand name most was Camel. Yes, according to these nationwide surveys, more doctors smoke Camels than any other cigarette. Friends, smoke the cigarette so many doctors enjoy. Change to Camels for 30 days and see how mild, how flavorful, how enjoyable a cigarette can be. Yes, change to Camels for 30 days and you'll stay with Camels from then on. Oh, my, 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 Leading throat specialists examined the throats of these smokers. They made 2,470 examinations and reported not one single case of throat irritation due to smoking camels. Try camels for 30 days and see how mild, how flavorful, how enjoyable a cigarette can be. Oh, my, oh, my, oh, my, oh, my, oh, my, can a cigarette be? Smoke camels and see. Here's Dick Powell with a special message. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, the makers of camels have sent more than 198 million gift camels to our armed forces. This week, gift camels go to hospitalized servicemen and veterans at Veterans Hospitals, Framingham, Massachusetts, and Durban, Michigan, U.S. Naval Hospital, San Diego, California, and to all hospitals operated for the U.S. Air Forces in the Far East. Now until next week, enjoy camels. I always do. Dick Barton, Special Agent. Wilhelm Kramer and his gang have captured the secret weapon, also one of the two scientists who invented it. But Kramer is still short of some vital information before he can operate it. Colonel Gardner, head of MO13, and Dick Barton are searching for this information in the dark at the other scientist's house, have found the papers, and are about to leave when suddenly... Help! Take it off me! Take it off! Shine the torch, sir. It won't work. Listen. Listen, sir, there's something alive. Coming this way. Now, blast the torch. Shut the door, then. Just a sec. There, it's got it now. Where is this thing? Torch is okay now. Shine it on the floor. Oh, Jim. By Jove. Quick, Barton, quick. Okay. Hold the torch steady on its eyes. Got it. Keep well back. Make sure. Yes. Oh, fuck. What a beastly mess. Listen a minute. Are there any more about? Can't hear anything else. Just a minute. Good heavens, Barton. The room is full of glass cases. Look. And every case has got live... Oh, what are they? Looks like some species of spider to me. Never saw any spiders like this before. Look at the size of the one I shot. I wonder why it was sliding across the floor to us. Should have thought it would have run at us. Damaged, maybe, when our friend knocked over its case. Yes, look at its legs. But what about our friend? Let's take a look at him. He's not dead. He's breathing. Perhaps he's one of the specimens that Sir Archie told your secretary to warn us about. Nasty-looking creature. He's out for the count. Doesn't seem to be any mark on him. Must be shot. Wonder who he is. One of Kramer's men? You bet. Well, let's get into a doctor. He's too useful to leave lying about. May be able to help us a lot. He's the first real clue we've found. Right. If you'll help me with the sleeping beauty here, you take his legs. Okay. <laughs> Outside with him. And let's shut the damn door. Colonel God. Colonel God. Thank you, sir. We heard a shot. Everything's all right, Constable. Give me a hand on this man to my car, will you? We've got a friend of yours here. What do you got there, Captain Barton? A corpse? Snowy White. You back? You betcha. <laughs> Wouldn't miss out on this. How's the head? Oh, that's all right now, sir. Just like to meet the bloke that did it. That's all. Is this more trouble? Well, we're onto something, I think. And you left me out of it. Well, I'm sorry, Snowy, but you'd had that nasty smack on the bean. You weren't really fit for action. But I am now, sir. <laughs> like old times all over again, isn't it, sir? 
Reckon we're lucky, you and I, getting into this racket. Reckon we are, Snowy. Well, what's the set-up now? Well, the other side seems to have scored most of the points up to now. A fellow called Kramer's the leader of the opposition. Any idea where he hangs out? No, but that fellow we've just captured in this house may be one of Kramer's crowd. Oh. in a car. I'll take him back to my office, and by tomorrow morning, things should be moving. Barton, you and your friend, get some shut-eye and be at my place by ten. Right, sir, and at ten tomorrow morning, we move over to the attack. You took the words out of my mouth. Well, good night. Good night. Good night, sir. And don't dream of spiders. <laughs> Look, sir, over the road. I've just seen him. Seen who, Snowy? Well, in the company on the head. Over the other side of the road. Look, tall chap with the Homburg hat and the Macintosh. The perisher. Snowy, don't let him see you, man. Yes, it's him, all right. Last he has seen us. Oh, he's got a car waiting. Let's follow him, sir. Good idea, Snowy. There's a taxi. Hey, taxi! Follow that car. Quick, driver, there's a bit for you if you don't lose him. Good enough. Hop in. The lights are against him. He's away already. Lights have changed. Step on it. No worry, sir. We'll keep on his tail. Looks like he's heading for the river. Got a pencil, Snowy. Uh -huh. I'll drop a note to Colonel Gardner in case anything goes wrong. You watch the chase. We're doing fine, sir. Tailing him nicely. Good. Now, dear Colonel, on the track of man in Hamburg hat who knifed Jimmy Le... What happened to Lowe, Snowy? I'm afraid he's at it, sir. He's still in hospital. Oh, poor chap. Leaving taxi driver with this note for you. We left taxi at... He's stopping, sir. What, already? Blimey, that was quick. He hopped off uh, and the car's gone on. That probably helps we'll follow the car. Hold it, driver. Right, sir. Think he, he dodged through that doorway over there, sir? That warehouse? Yeah. Probably helping to give us the slip. Here, driver, wait for ten minutes. If we don't come out of that doorway by then, take this note as quick as you can to Colonel Gardner War Office. I'll finish the note. What's the name of the warehouse? Uh, it's written up... Aspinall's... Aspinall's... T... Warehouse. T... Warehouse. Yes. Here's the note, driver. Okay, sir. I know the place. I'll bring him back here if you don't come out. Good man. Give us ten minutes. And don't forget, driver, Colonel Gardner, War Office. I won't forget, sir. Good lad. We'll see you don't regret it. Come on, Snowy. With you, sir. Colonel Gardner, War Office. What a blooming note. What a pair of suckers. Took the bait as easy as kiss your hand. Sid. Hello, Professor. Switch off the engine. They've gone in, have they? Well, they have. And it worked like a charm. They even give me a quid to take a note to Colonel Gardner. <laughs> nice work, Sid. Nice work. Beat it. Now, go on, beat it. Yes. The leader will attend to Mr. Barton and his friend in the leader's own inimitable way. Well, all I can say is, heaven help them, Professor, if they are left to his tender mercies. <laughs> Tea warehouse, it says on this door. I can't see any signs of tea lying about. Well, you'd think they'd have a watchman or somebody on duty, wouldn't you, to stop people from, from... pinching the tea that isn't here? <laughs> <laughs> Can I help you in any way, gentlemen? That depends who you are. I'm an employee of Aspinall's Tea Warehouses Limited. Can I do anything for you? Well, you could make us a nice cup of tea. Too lunch. My friend has a strong sense of humor. I must apologize. Actually, we were expecting to meet someone here, a gentleman in a black Homburg hat, brown Macintosh. You haven't seen him? Uh, no. No, I don't think I have. Well, perhaps he went through that door over there. Oh, this door over here, you mean? Hmm. Uh, please, come this way. Uh, this is Mr. Jackson's office, gentlemen. If you'll just step inside. After you, gentlemen. Oh, thank you very much. Oh, very much. Now, what the... He's banged the perishing door on us, sir. Open it, sir. Open it. There's no knob on this door on the inside. No. And the door fits flush. Yeah. Uh, looks like we walked into a bit of a trap, Snowy, my boy. Uh, you know, I thought the old setup smelled a bit fishy. Not much like an office now, is it? Is it? Not much. Room's completely bare. Except for this table in the center here. Now, what do we do, hmm? I'm afraid, Mr. Barton, there's very little you can do. Oh, the blinking... Now for the melodramas, Snowy. Precisely, Mr. Barron, as you so intelligently point out. Now for the melodrama. Where's his, his voice coming from, sir? Allow me to explain. By an ingenious mixture of loudspeakers and microphones, I can hear every word you say, my friends, and you can hear what I say. Who are you, anyway? <laughs> but, of course, how very impolite of me. My name is Kramer. 
Wilhelm Kramer. Blimey, the kingpin himself. The kingpin himself, as your friend so aptly phrases it, Mr. Barton. But uh, as the hour is late, I suggest we do not waste time. Uh, first, you appreciate, I trust, that our friend, the professor, as we call him, the man in the black Homburg hat, was sent as a decoy to lure you here. Oh, I see the spider and the fly, eh? <laughs> Trouble with you, Willie. You read too many thrillers before going to bed. Uh, please, Mr. Barton, don't prolong this discussion under the mistaken impression that you are playing for time. Meaning what? Only that the taxi driver who brought you here was also one of my men, so that the little note you wrote to Colonel Gardner was delivered to me. Oh, love it. That's a perishing nuisance, isn't it? Not really, Snowy. Wait and see. Why not be honest, Barton, and admit that you just had quite a shock? My dear Willie, you seem to think you hold all the trump cards. That remains to be seen. Quite so. Now, I have a proposition to make to you. What sort of proposition? I need new recruits in my organization. Men such as yourself, and for that matter, your friend. <laughs> Hear that, Snowy? <laughs> Join forces. <laughs> really, Willie, the things you say. It is never a wise thing, Mr. Barton, to underestimate your enemy. I don't, Willie, old sir, but you surely don't expect me to take your outfit seriously, do you? As to that, Barton, I'll step aside a moment and allow a most eminent British scientist to give you his views. You may have heard of him. Mr. James Thurgood. Ah, Snowy, the other inventor of the secret weapon. We've been waiting to meet this code. Oh, yeah. Why not be wise, Barton? Don't you realize that Wilhelm Kramer and I, with our new devastating weapon, can have complete mastery over the whole world? We haven't got all of the weapon yet, old son. Oh, that's just a matter of time. We have everything except the antidote. Soon we shall have that. Then, then, Barton, we shall be masters. Masters! I'll get some of my nerves, this blood does, sir. Can we switch him off? Do you realize what we offer you, Barton? A share in the complete domination of the civilized world as we know it. I hate to say it, James Thurgood, but you bore me. Go away and leave us in peace. Mr. Barton, both I and Mr. Thurgood have asked you to join our party of your own free will. And like the girl in the song, Willie, our answer is no, no, a thousand times no, ain't it, Snowy? That's right, sir. In that case, I'm afraid we shall have to use a little persuasion. Ah, now the melodrama's really beginning, Snowy. Ah. I hope, Mr. Barton... That you will continue to find the whole affair as big a joke as you seem to have done so far. Probably laugh our bloomin' heads off, Willie. I hope so. But in actual fact, if anyone derives any amusement from the next few minutes, I rather think it will be Mr. Thurgood and myself. Don't get on with it. I have already begun to do so. If you look into each corner of the room you are in, Mr. Barton, you will see that four small trap doors have opened. Lord, sir. He's right. Look. Now, Mr. Barton. Let us see how much longer you continue to treat the affair as a joke. Watch those little entrances most carefully. You can't get out through them, Mr. Barton. They're too small. But something might get in through them. Why not get on with it, Willie? This is beginning to get boring. Just as you wish, of course, Barton. But I did warn you. Can you hear anything? Hmm? Can you hear anything, Barton? Listen carefully. Hear that squeaking, sir? Yes. Sounds very much like a few of your friends and relations, Willie. In other words, rats. Yeah, a few relatives in for supper, maybe. Hey, Willie? In a way, yes. They are hungry, ravenously hungry. They haven't eaten anything for days. Starving rats, eh? Nice type, our Williams, you know it. Yeah, one of the best. You don't wish to uh, change your minds at all, gentlemen. My dear Kramer, we've already had you and friend James Thurgood trying to persuade us. You don't think that a few more of the same species are likely to make any difference? I'd advise you both to get onto the table and keep your feet and legs clear of the floor from now on. There is room on the table for you both, if you sit close together. You will observe that the legs are made of tubular steel. The rats cannot climb up them, so that you are relatively safe, as long as you don't fall off. Oh, come on, Willie, let's see your little pets. Oh, one thing more. Uh, these pets, as you call them, which you are just about to meet, are rather different from the usual type of rat. Uh, James Thurgood arranged that for me. Indeed, very kind of him, I'm sure. Yes. He has injected them with all sorts of strange and unusual diseases. Rabies, bubonic plague, oh, quite a number. The slightest bite from one of them. And well, Mr. Barton, it will be interesting to see just what happens to you. Most interesting. You filthy swine. Come, 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 my dear Barton. What has happened to the gay laughter, the merry jests? Not getting scared, I trust? Very soon there will be enough of my little pets in this room to keep your mind occupied all night. So I'll leave you until the morning. Three rousing chills. But if before morning you should wish to change your minds, 
Just shout. Nasty thing, bubonic plague. I shall look forward to meeting you again, Kramer, in slightly different circumstances. <laughs> the likelihood of that seems at the moment to be remote. I'll say good night. See you in the morning. And leave you both to your thoughts and the rats. Oh, my duck, sir. Here they come. Uh, I'm on to this table. Quick! They're right beside you. Snowy. They're trying to look round me. Don't they? What will happen to Barton and Snowy? How can Colonel Gardner find them now? Will the rats get their meal? Listen to the next installment of Dick Barton, Special Agent. Ben A.M. B.U.L.O.V.A. Boulevard Watch Time. Here's a distinguished timepiece, the 21-year-old Boulevard President in the charm and color of natural gold. Curved, streamlined, an exceptional value. Dick Barton, Special Agent. Kramer and his gang have captured the secret weapon. They have also captured one of the two British scientists who invented it. But Kramer is still short of certain vital information before he can operate it. He has therefore lured Dick Barton and Snowy White to his hideout in Aspinall's tea warehouse, locked them in a room with only one table, and because they refuse to join his party, lets poisoned rats into their prison. Love a duck, sir. Here they come. Up onto the table, quick. Right beside you, Snowy. <laughs> they kind of look hungry, don't they? There's such a blasted fool sitting up here on this table like this. Uh, best place to be, sir, just at the moment. At least we are safe up here. They can't climb up my steel legs, even though we have to wait here till morning. It's that big perisher there I don't like. I've been watching him. He's got an odd look in his eye, as though he's working out what to do next. Crikey, sir. Look, the blooming things are staring up like dogs, waiting for their dinner. Don't let him get on your nerves, Snowy, old son. It's a long time to morning. Oh, I know, sir, I know, but... I feel so perishing helpless. I've got a mind to get down and have a bash at him. Don't be crazy, Snowy. Once fetched from their teeth and you'd have had it. Imagine what would happen if you tripped and fell. Oh, bloody, just bad thinking about, does it? They seem to be getting venturesome. I wonder if they'd eat each other, sir, if they're that hungry. Well, it's an idea. We've got our guns with us. In any case, that big biter wants a tending to pretty quickly. That's the second time he's jumped. Here goes. <laughs> Killing my little pets up already, Mr. Barton? Now, let me see. If you each have a revolver, that would make 12 shots in all. Ah, well, we have plenty more rats. Just let me know if you are running short. Good night. See you in the morning. And to think, Snowy, we're doing Colonel Gardner's office at 10 tomorrow morning. Yes, some hopes. Unless he comes out looking for us. You mean he might smell a rat? <laughs> 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 Try and get some shut eyes, Snowy. What the devil's the time, Jean? Past ten o'clock. I should have thought Barton and Snowy White would have been along by now. They know how urgent it is. What exactly were their instructions? Get a night's sleep. Come here at ten o'clock so that we can question this chappy we found unconscious at Wrangle's house last night and get some sort of line on Kramer's hideout. Mm. Oh, by the way. Yes, sir. Have you got that large box that came from Wrangle's house? Yes, here it is. What's inside it, I don't know, but it scuttles about. You soon will. You left old Wrangle tucked up safe and sound last night? Yes, and he seemed much better when I left the hospital. Nasty fall for a man of his age. Two flights down that lift chart. Miracle he didn't break his neck. You left a guard on him at the hospital? Oh, yes. And they're being changed every eight hours. Good. Don't want him kidnapped like the other scientist. But at least we've got his secret formula under lock and key. In the safe, sir. But where the blazes is Barton? I think we've waited long enough. We'd better get to work on our prisoner. Shall I have him sent in? Yes, I'll see what some gentle persuasion can do. Yes, bring him in. In here, please. Come along, you. Hey, you want me to stand by, sir? He's a nasty-looking cast. No, that's all right. I can attend to him. Very good, sir. Wait in the next room with Miss Hunter. I'll ring if I want you. Yes, sir. Now, what's your name? Harry Andrews. I ain't done nothing, sir. What were you doing in Sir Archie Wrangle's house last night? I lost my way, sir. Now, look here. My time's short, Andrews. 
I want the truth, and I want it fast. Why were you in Sirachi's house? Oh, I don't know, Frank. Why was that for? The truth. Go on. Well, I thought it was an empty house, sir. I, I, I thought there might be some pickings there. Yes. I went through one of the windows, and I, I knocked over something in the dark. There was a crash of glass, and then... Lord, sir, it was horrible. I could hear something slivering towards me. I shone the torch, and... Blimey, sir, it was like a great spider. Go on. I passed out, sir. Right out. When I woke up, I was here. What were you doing in Wrangle's house? Anything I could find. What were you doing? And what were you looking for? I told you, sir, straight on. If I can't persuade you to tell the truth, I've got something here that can. It's in this box. It's another of Wrangle's spiders. No, sir. I've never even sight. All right. One more chance. You're one of Kramer's men, aren't you? Yes, sir. But he'll kill me, sir, if he finds out I've squirreled. Straight, he'll kill me, he will. Where is Kramer's headquarters? If I tell you, you'll have to protect me, or he'll kill me. Get on with it at once. Kramer's headquarters is... It's... Oh, God, he'll kill me, sir. It's Aspinall's Tea Warehouse, sir. It's a place by the river. Aspinall's Tea Warehouse. Fine. Why the devil didn't you tell me this before? Miss Hunter, Sergeant, not a minute to lose. It's getting light, Snowy. Must be morning. Any more ammo left? Not so as you'd notice it. But not many rats, either. All night long I've been turning things over in my mind. Listen, Snowy. Yeah? Speak very quietly. Remember the old signal for action? Oh, that tune you used to whistle, sir. Yes. Just wondered if you remembered. Oh. Now then, Snowy. <clears throat> I, I've been thinking. It seems to me that Colonel Gardner and his crowd have just left us in the lurch by the look of things. Oh, I don't know, sir. Give them a chance. But, Snowy, think for a minute. These people here have been ahead by about three jumps all along the line. Have been ever since we came into the game. Had all the luck. That's what it is, sir. Luck be blowed. Gardner's not on the same street as friend Billy Kramer and his boys, so far as organization and general efficiency are concerned. What are you getting at, sir? Just that... Well, I'm not ever keen to finish up as a starving rat's tidbit, are you? What are you driving at, sir? Well, maybe we've been on the wrong side so far. Good morning, Mr. Barton. This is much more intelligent of you. Well, why the blazes should we? Exactly, my dear Barton. Just what I was saying last night. Now, look, Captain Boxer. I've been with you a long time, sir. Please, but... Snowy, use your loaf a bit. One boss is very much like another. After all, what we asked for was excitement and money, wasn't it? Well, count me out, sir. Don't be a fool, Snowy. Now's our chance to cash in on things. Yes, yeah, yes. It could do with a, a bit of ready, I must say, sir. I am prepared to pay you a hundred pounds a week to begin with, between you. Plus fifty thousand once the secret weapon is safe in my hands complete. Love a duck, sir. That's money, isn't it? It certainly is. What would you want us to do exactly, Kramer? Obtain Sir Archie Rangel's formula. That's all, to begin with. You mean we should get fifty thousand quid for supplying you with that? Of course. Without the formula for the antidote, neither James Thurgood nor I are able safely to operate the weapon. Uh, but, of course, you know that. I think we can safely say we can help you. But need we continue to discuss this in these uh, rather unpleasant surroundings? <laughs> it's a little difficult for me, Barton, to be quite convinced that your sudden change of heart is genuine. However, I am now sending down two men, suitably dressed, to your room. One of them to look after what remains of the rest, the other to keep you both covered. You understand? Yes. If you should try any funny tricks, well, both my men will be thoroughly protected from the rats, whereas you will be unprotected. Uh, that alone places you at a distinct disadvantage. You're telling us. And when all the rats are caged, my two men will bring you along to my room upstairs. Here come the men now. Cheery little tune, that's it. Ah, the rat catchers. Ah, good morning, comrades. Blimey. <laughs> Talk about two Frankensteins. Oh, they're certainly dressed up to the nines. <laughs> All right. Stay where you are, the pair of you. I'm watching you both. No funny business. Don't get scared, Hubert. We know when we're licked. My name happens to be Hans. Oh, bad luck, mate. Get these animals in their cages. Quick as your plans is. Oh, one second, man. Love the Dutchman. Look at the way they bite at those cages. Imagine being on the floor with that love all over you. Perhaps it's all right when you know how to handle them. And provided you're covered up properly. Yes, unfortunately, we uh, ain't covered properly. Yes, you are. Covered by me. Sorry. 
Last time I ever sit on a table, this is. My mother always used to say it was bad luck. <laughs> Blimey, how right she was. No, no funny business while I open this door. Right, Snowy Low? Look out! Get! Oh. Nice work! Oh, no, you I don't! Me blast you! Okay, sir. Surely, mister. <laughs> you idiot. <laughs> what chance do you think you got? My men are not. No, they're not. Like you. Oh, oh, nice work, sir. How are you? Find, find, you pull that case of bread. Quick, sir. Quick, the door. Quick, Nice work. We're outside. Oh, that big bloke knocked over that case of rats. Yes, he was lying on the floor with his helmet off. Looks like the rats are going to get their breakfast after all. Come on, Snowy. That's the door over there. We came through when we first arrived last night. What the devil is plan to, sir? Best if I know, but I don't feel like staying here to find out. Come on. Will you, sir? No, wait a tick, Snowy. It's plain madness to dash across this open warehouse. It's too exposed. There's no cover. Uh, but, but there's the entrance over there. Let's make a dash. Don't be a twerp, Snowy. Here, follow me. Don't make too much of a clatter. Keep to the walls. Uh, seems a devil of a way, doesn't it, sir? Just from here to that bare entrance. So far, so good. Mm. I expected a few revolver shots before now. <clears throat> seems to have forgotten about us, don't Don't I? speak too soon. This is the worst bit. Now, Snowy, yeah? we've got to cover this last 10 or 15 yards in the open. If there's anyone waiting back there with a gun, well, this is going to be a glorious opportunity to pick us off. Now, Snowy. Yes, sir? When I say right, you make a dash for it. Keep zigzagging all over the place. Make yourself a more difficult target. What about you, sir? No good both of us running together. They'll be bound to hit one of us. I'll follow as soon as you've got across. Are you ready? Yes, sir. Give me the word. Get ready and try to imagine you're running in the Olympic Games. Good luck, Snowy. Now then, right. Do it, Snowy. Good man. Oh, good old Snowy. Nothing like giving the other side fair warning. Well, my turn now. Here goes. Come on, sir. Come on. If those baskets fire as him, I'll... Oh, nice work, sir. An anticlimax, that Snowy. Not a single shot. I wonder why. I can't make it out, sir. They seem to have lost interest in us all of a sudden. Well, don't let's hang about. Keep running and get away from this blasted warehouse just as fast as we can. Gene, is it ten minutes almost up? Very nearly, sir. About half a minute to go. Everything in order, Inspector? Yes, sir. All the men have been told three long blasts on the police whistle and we move into the attack. Splendid. Good luck and don't shoot unless you have to. Right, sir. Oh, that was the trouble here. There's a couple of men running like blazes up that street, sir. The devil there is. But they've got to come past us. Shall we stop them? Here they come, sir. Right. Great Scott. Mr. Barton. Yes, and that friend of his. All right, you two. All right, take it easy. Listen, Constable, it's urgent. All right, Barton, get your breath. Well, I'm hanged. Nice work, sir. I don't know how you got onto our track, but have you got any reinforcements? Yes, plenty. You've just come from Aspinall's warehouse? Yeah. How do you know? Too long a story to tell you now, but we've got the whole place surrounded. Just a job, sir. Let's have a bash at them. Surrounded, sir. Have you? On all sides except the river. You've got no guard on the river? No, why? Do you think? I don't know. I mean, I heard Kramer telling all his men to put a plan two into operation forthwith. I wonder whether they might have got wind of your movements. Good reason for getting a signal at once and start moving. Here goes, anyway. So far, so good. Not a soul about, is there? No. Let's push on anyway. There's another door down here. Stand back while I kick it open, just in case. Yeah. Still no signs of anyone. But there are stairs going up here. And I remember friend Billy Cromer said his office was upstairs. Come on, everyone. Looks as if we're getting nearer to the leader's hideout. You take half a dozen men and stay downstairs, Sergeant. The rest of you come with us. Very good, sir. in this room, look. Oh, yes, quite palatial. This is Palmer's room, all right. There's his microphone. Yes, but where's the leader? Uh, looks like his doctor, sir. Colonel Gardner! Hello, what's that? Yes? We're up here. What is it? They've gone, sir. At the bottom of the other stairs is a proper little dandy stage. A sort of underground canal leading onto the river. 
They cleared out. I was afraid they had. Blast. Colonel Gardner. What's the trouble, Dean? There's a note here addressed to you. To me? Yes, here on this desk. What the blazes? Well, I'll be... What is it, sir? It's from Kramer. This is what he says. Dear Colonel Gardner, you appear to have found your way into my headquarters. Let us see if you can find your way out again. What the devil does he mean by that? What is the meaning of Kramer's message? Where has Kramer gone? What has he left behind? Listen to the next installment of Dick Burton, Special Agent.